0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Black Woman's Hour. Uh, how is everyone today? Very, Very well, thank good. you. Aisha, good to see you. Ayesha again. But <laughs> she made it for this show. Last time we didn't get Aisha for the last five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> so she's done better this time. Um, yeah. We have two fantastic guests today. We have Rivka Brown. Rivka, do you want to say, sort of introduce yourself? to our audience
1: and say what you do. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I am a reporter and editor for Navarra Media, um, but I guess probably more relevant to today's discussion, I'm also the editor of Vashti, which is a new left-wing media platform based in the UK. Oh,
0: I didn't know about that one. Oh, great, we'll put a link to that in the comments after. And Ella Bennett, how are you? Hi
2: there, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. Um, I run a group called Black Jewish Lives on WhatsApp. Um, My background is, uh, my my father's side is black Jamaican, British born. My mother's side is Jewish. Her father was um, Jamaican and her mother was Jewish. So I spent some time in the Jewish, in the Orthodox Jewish community. I still live within the Jewish community, um, but I maintain both sides of my identity. And um, yeah, that's really me.
0: Oh, great, thanks for agreeing to come on. Do I look too dark now? Does it look weird?
1: A little too dark. Okay, all right. Um, You need to find a middle ground with the windows half open. You need to call Mimi again. (laughs) I did look weird, so. (laughs) 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 Ella, do you mind uh, me asking which Jewish community you live in?
2: Um, North London, I'm in Northwest London. I'm in St. John's Word.
1: Oh yeah. The famed, oh. yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, I was lucky yeah. enough to go to St John's Wood Shaw when um, Chief Rabbi Sachs was was there, and that was his synagogue.
1: Oh, oh, oh wow. wow, that's that's really nice.
3: Yeah, yeah,
2: from Hill, so a different,
1: a different. Okay, yeah, yeah, not, not within the ultra orthodox community, but alongside it.
0: Okay, that's nice. I remember when he retired, I got stuck on a train. Um, with this Jewish guy who came from Manchester. We were just, the doors wouldn't open and we were just sitting on the train. We just got to talking and he said he was going to, uh, um, he goes, well, I'm going to this uh, sort of leaving do for somebody. And I was like, who's that? I said, oh, well, you know, is it a big party? He was going, oh, yes, yes, yes. He was like, now, do you know what a rabbi is? And I went, <laughs> yes. He went, it's the chief rabbi. I went, do you mean Jonathan Sachs? He went, oh, <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> have friend mate. Okay, I know who John sex is. <laughs> um, yeah, so how basically, um, the board of deputies are bringing out a race report this week. Um, and Ella, did you say you took part in it or you were one of the consultants?
2: That's right, no, I, I did take part in it. Um, I was involved at the evidence gathering stage, um, so. Um, I think they ran sort of like a series of um, evidence gathering sessions where people were invited and you could basically say what your experiences were. And there was sort of like a a structured kind of uh, that we would follow. So um, I don't know, experiences of going to shore, um, of trying to integrate or assimilate into the community, you know, general sort of stuff like that. Um, But I did write a paper for that as well. That was what sort of, I mean, I gave evidence verbally, but I also wrote a paper and submitted that, which was called um, Racial Inclusivity in the Jewish Community, What Will Black Jews Need? Um, and it was hoped that, you know, some of those um, points that I raised there would be sort of considered when um, the commission, you know, concludes, let's say. So, yeah. You mentioned any of the
0: points that you raised, like, how have you found it?
2: Um, so, I mean, I am um, because obviously Stephen hasn't finished, he hasn't concluded yet, or he hasn't published his report yet. So, I sort of wanted to um, keep it a little bit under wraps. But, um, you know, it's things like re- access to resources, um, access to institutions that will protect our identity and us. Um, out in the field, let's say, I mean, I sort of made the point that even though we're Jews, we're still black. And so the issues that affect black people affect us as well. Um, so really looking sort of like for cooperation with the Jewish institutions and collaboration as well. Um, now, what else was there off the top of my head? Yeah, education. Um, we wanted, one of the things I suggested was that um, the books that are used in Jewish faith schools, Um, particularly in the ultra-Orthodox ones as well, um, could include um, the history of black people in Judaism, going back to the days of the Talmud, um, and also, you know, more recent history where, like myself, you know, there are people who are the children of um, a Jewish mother and a black father, for example, yeah. as a way of including us, to get rid of this myth that, um, you know, you could only be a Black Jew if you're Ethiopian, for example. Yeah. So yeah, there are quite a lot of points that I raised there. Um, yeah, that is one of the existing
0: myths. I mean, I didn't realise how many places there were Black Jewish people. Like um, Michael, who I'd spoken to a couple of years ago about doing something from Dominica. I didn't know there were Jews in Ghana, I didn't know there were Nigerian Jews. I didn't know there was just like a big sort of broad group. Rufka, obviously um, you say you grew up in London as well. Were you familiar growing up with the wide range of Jewish communities there well? Or is it very insular and so people, you know what I mean?
1: Mm. Um, I think probably my um, awareness of um, kind of... Black Judaism was probably quite limited, but um, not of my kind of awareness of non-white Judaism. So I went to a Jewish primary school in in Stamford Hill, um, and a lot of uh, members of my class and um, students at the school were non Ashkenazi, so they were Sephardi, they were Mizrahi or Adeni. So these are kind of Jews from different parts of, um, kind of uh, from Western Europe through to the Middle East and parts of the Arab world to North Africa. and so. I was very much aware that um, there were non-white Jews um, and there were there were a couple of um black kids in my class um, black Jewish kids so I definitely was um aware that w- was aware that they existed but um but certainly um wasn't wasn't particularly aware of the kind of uh the, the ways in which black and Jewish identity really intersect and and indeed you know the the kind of experiences of like I say, Sephardi, Mizrahi, Adani Dani Jews, in terms of the kind of hierarchy of of, of Jewish kind of ethnic groups, um, with with Ashkenazim, both in the UK but also particularly in Israel, um, facing kind of an enormous kind of discrimination. So, um, so yeah, I, I definitely like grew up with some understanding of it, but it's kind of grown, particularly as my understanding of um, like racial inequality in the UK and um, of you know Israeli apartheid has has grown.
0: You're right. Have you um, found it difficult? I mean, obviously, politically, between 2015, 2020, during the Corbyn years, I mean, I've never heard so much about anti-Semitism as in those years. I mean, I know it exists. I've heard people doing it. I know what it's about, but I never heard, like, it just being discussed so much. Did you find it really hard um, during that time? Because we've spoken to other people who just said it was just, a nightmare
1: for them. <clears throat> yeah, um, I'd be really interested to hear Ella's um, thoughts on this as well. Um, but I suppose from from my perspective. Um it struck me, well, first of all, my my experience of like grassroots labor organizing during the Corbyn years was pretty limited. So I have to say that a lot of the people who were in both the labor movement and kind of broader left wing movements, which I wasn't until much more recently in my life, um, had experiences of anti semitism on the left, which I didn't personally share. So I think like it's, it's important for me to kind of come to that with some humility and, and some awareness that like, I I haven't been called a kind of or, or presumed to be a Zionist in in every, you know, anti-war group or every CLP meeting that I've attended because I just haven't attended as many um and so 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 that's that's something to say but on the other hand i was slightly troubled by how kind of anti-semitism which obviously had been an issue within the Labour Party for many many years um kind of going through to kind of Ed Miliband's um leadership when Jewish groups were supposedly leaving in droves through to you know um cartoons of um you know like conservative Jewish politicians um, as drawn as pigs and so on. And, you know, that anti-Semitism has uh, been a problem for Labour since long before Corbyn. The narrative was that it became a massive um, kind of an exponentially greater problem during the Corbyn years, because suddenly they had a kind of commander-in-chief who was the anti-Semite, you know, incarnate. Um, but to me, it did it did seem like a repetition of a um, a kind of um, a dynamic that we often see, which is anti-Semitism being um, used to destabilize um, uh, left-wing movements, or the the accusation of anti-Semitism, the reality of anti-Semitism being amplified to um, destabilize left-wing movements. So. Um, yeah, I've always contended that there is anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. There has probably always been, just as there is anti-Semitism in all sectors of society to varying degrees. However, um, that the way that it operated and the way that it was sensationalised during the Corbyn years, including by the Jewish press, which I think is so irresponsible, um, was something that I found really, like, kind of saddening. And around the time of the election. Incredibly frustrating, um, not least because I, I, I just felt like, you know, that the actual issue of anti Semitism in society at large w- would be so much more. Um, effectively addressed by a Labour government than by a Conservative one. You know, we now have a Conservative government that is um, banning um, religious refugees, for example, the kind that were coming here during the Holocaust and during the late 19th century pogroms. So, you know, I, I, I we are seeing kind of uh, fulfilled this kind of prophecy, <laughs> or, prophecy or kind of um, premonition that a lot of us had that actually, well, not premonition, the evidence that a lot of us had been living that a conservative government was worse for Jews just as it was worse for all minorities and oppressed groups than a Labour one Um, but yeah that's a very, very long answer to a quite short sure question, but uh, yeah. Ella, can we have your thoughts?
2: Sure, um, so slightly different perspective, I mean some overlap with Rivka, um, but I mean, first of all, number one, people don't usually look at me and think oh she's Jewish, so I mean so my experience in the Labour Party hasn't been what it's been for white Jews, I wouldn't have thought. Um, I mean, second of all, just a little disclaimer here, I did um, do some work with the Labour Party um, <clears throat> a long time ago, year 2000. I was an observer on their, um, uh, on their executive committee in a particular ward within Brent. So I mean, I've always been I've always had that affiliation with Labour because Labour was traditionally the party of, of the ethnic minorities and there were, you know, there were sort of more socialists than the Conservatives who seemed to want to keep Blacks out at all costs. So I mean, I always felt safer voting Labour, um, but then I kind of became more of a floating voter. Um, and especially as I kind of, I mean, I lived with Jewish people, um, older Jewish people as well, because... Um, So, I mean, I live in a Jewish block basically, I've got fibromyalgia, so I have a disability and I live with other people that have got disabilities and some of those are older Jewish people. Um, And so when it came up to voting and this business with Corbyn, you know, sort of, they wanted me to vote, the Jewish people here wanted me to vote with them, which was the conservative. But from my perspective, it was like, if I vote Tory, I'm voting for a racist party. Um, So it's like... And I, want you to, I need you to understand that as Jewish people, it doesn't mean that I'm an anti-Semite because I vote Labour. Mm-hmm. So it felt like at the time I was being told, well, it's okay to vote for a racist, it's not okay to vote for an anti-Semite. And at that time, I didn't realize how bad the anti-Semitism is in the Labour Party, because a lot of the detail hadn't come out, um, that it's coming out now. So, so for example, John McDonnell, um, I thought he was really good. I thought he was really good and um, it's only recently that it's come out that he's one of the people that makes, um, allegedly, you know, has been behind some of the anti-Semitism. Obviously it's a top-down issue. And also there was somebody else, Len McCluskey, you know, there's an anti-Semitic trope that he verbalized. I thought that was horrible. I hadn't heard about those things at the time that the uh, Corbyn election, let's say, was was up there. And, And I'd also been following Norman Finkelstein. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I know him, yeah. Um, and so I was quite taken by his views, and I was glad that there was someone like him that could make me feel more comfortable about voting for a party that I felt would have been better for me as a, as a, as a um, person who is visibly black rather than Jewish. But now, as I said, I was a floating voter. Nobody was guaranteed to get my vote. But now that I've seen that actually the the rot is at the top as regards anti-Semitism Labour, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, when it comes to Mayor of London, I'll vote Labour. As it, when it comes to the government, you know, choosing a new government, I don't know who I'll vote for. It's, it's too too difficult. Now that I know that there is overt anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, and that they just don't seem to be able to get a handle on it, even with Keir Starmer. I mean, Keir Starmer I used to work with as a junior clerk in um, Chambers when I was about 20-something, about 20, 21. Say really? so again? I said, oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a good guy. He was a human rights, you know, fantastic human rights QC. And um, so when I saw that he was placed as the head of the Labour Party, I thought, oh, this is fantastic. But, you know, I, as these details have come out about the people at the top of the party, it's made me think, you know, even Keir can't can't solve this problem. And so I may not feel comfortable voting for, for Keir uh, just because of the anti-Semitism, but I certainly wouldn't be voting touring especially not after this this new report that's come out. So it's a tricky one for me. Yeah,
0: I won't be voting for him because of the anti-blackness. Um, I didn't hear anything about John McDonald though, I'm not doubting your word, I just have not heard anything yeah. about in particular. What I've noticed, because um, I have a friend who's um, on Twitter with me, we follow each other, and she's got Jew in her bio, right? This woman can't say anything, right? If she says, I'm always on there, going to people, get off her back, right? She said something that had nothing to do with anything to do with Israel. And straight away, someone was like, oh, I suppose you support Israel, do you? And I was like, can she not just say, you know, what she has for dinner? Can she not just say anything? And I do point out there is anti-Semitism on the left. People deny it. But it exists, it definitely exists. And I think it's been exacerbated in the past few years because what I've seen from the left, this is my theory on it, a lot of people on the left are angry that um, Corbyn lost the election and they're blaming it on Jewish people, which is kind of what Finkelstein was saying was gonna happen, didn't he? He was saying if you keep, pursuing this, then people are going to blame it. It doesn't, it doesn't make it right. But he kind of said, if you keep doing this, then when they do lose, people are going to really turn on Jewish people. And I I can't lie and say, I haven't seen it, because I have. And you, Aisha? Oh,
3: what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) You've seen it as well, haven't you? Yeah, no, definitely. I've definitely seen um, people be attacked more, I think, since the uh, election. And I agree with Finkelstein's point as well, because I think the whole sort of Using anti Semitism and people's genuine fears and pain as a sort of political football, how could it ever have had any positive result? I'm not really sure how you whip up one sentiment here, you make people re feel this kind of pain. And I know from when we spoke to Nadine and Lara, they mentioned this this the suitcases by the door thing. I certainly know when I see things about slavery or um, black guys getting shot by cops in America, I feel that pain like it's one of my not my siblings, that's extreme. But when you slices put us all into this tiny little group and you squash us and make us into this flat one dimension it gives us a tiny bit of strength because we reach out and we feel more for each other right so i don't I understand that and i think using anti-semitism like that and people's pain and the way that we do feel about each other when we are in these kind of cultural groups means that there's always going to be a bad fallout i don't i'm not sure um how there couldn't have been it was super irresponsible yeah. and cruel actually irresponsible kind of lets it off the hook it. You know older Jewish people, Ellen mentioned older Jewish people,
0: parents of friends really did suffer. And I don't they're petrified. Dismiss that, and for everyone who, who didn't believe it, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Mm-hmm. If that group of people believe that, and it's a
3: trauma-based reaction. Imagine saying he's, he's going to reopen happened. concentration camps, right? And thinking because, that was a and not being not being held to account but, for that. Yeah, it's a ridiculous yeah, no, I, thing to say to people. Yeah, you know, no no recourse. No, I completely agree but this is
1: where it gets complicated right because you have Jewish people who well first of all I think like the the kind of you know you have um kind of journalists members of parliament um you know who have their own kind of agendas regarding kind of the left corporatism whatever and who light upon instances of anti-Semitism, often real ones like the comments that um Ella was alluding to um that and, and sort of amplified Jewish people's fear around that such that they feel that they face what the Jewish Chronicle polled their readers to be an existential threat from Corbyn, which I'm sorry, I'm never going to accept that Jews faced an existential threat under Corbynism. Of course, I will accept that Jews faced serious insult, uh, you know, oversight um, and and potentially kind of racism, but I won't accept that there would ever have been anything approaching the reopening of concentration camps. Corbyn wanted to put more money into the CST, you know, Corbyn wanted to put more money into like protecting, you know, Jewish, um, you know, uh, places of burial. And I I really just can't see how that would have um, transpired. But what I can see, is how Jewish people had a really real um, kind of trauma response. Like you were saying, uh, um, I should learn how to say your name properly, Ava. (laughs) I keep saying Ava, but I'm so sorry. Let's get it right. Ever. um uh yeah that had this real trauma response um that made them that made them genuinely feel that Corbyn was a much greater threat than he actually posed and so I, I want to both respect the the kind of um genuineness of of people's fear whilst also saying that it wasn't an accurate reflection of reality and I don't think that saying those two things um means denying um the existence of anti-semitism or denying Jewish people's experiences I think they were very real things is. I don't think that they were fears grounded in reality. I think they were fears that were whipped up. Um, you know, they were they were based on real events, but then were whipped up into something that was far greater and more um, kind of threatening than it, than it actually was. Um, yeah, I think I, yeah.
0: What can we do as non-Jews to help repair some of that damage that was done? Because it was it was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. Like, is there anything we can do? I mean,
1: I mean, I think this is, th- th- there's a really good um, point that y- you've kind of raised here about, um, you know, was it Norman Finkelstein who, who, who talked about, I mean, and all of my friends were really saying this, before the election, if, if Labour loses, it's on us, like people are gonna blame us. And I think there's a there's a power in recognizing that this is exactly what the ruling classes want. You know, April Rosenblum, who's an American theorist of anti-Semitism, um, who wrote this brilliant pamphlet, I would really recommend it, called The Past Didn't Go Anywhere. Um, I, you know, she wrote it, I think over a decade ago now, but it's, it's still 100% relevant. Um, and she talks about Jews as do many scholars, um, as being the middleman or the buffer class or the kind of, um, you know, sponge really for the oppressed people's anxieties or um, fury or fear um, to avoid it from being transmitted to the ruling class so Jews would often be placed in kind of middleman roles or moneylender roles or you know roles where um, the poor could get annoyed with them and not with the duke (laughs) um, who was who was actually pulling the strings and I think there's something really important here about recognizing who is really at fault here and why and why is it that Jews um, become the kind of proxy for that basically who really lost us the election it was the Tories not Jewish people you know and it's the Tories who we should be annoyed at or Labour's own internal failings not not Jewish people and I think actually something interesting happens with Israel I mean this is a whole other kind of conversation but I do think like the left's um kind of um fixation on Israel which I mean obviously you know I'm fixated on Israel so like who am I to talk but like know the 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 kind of singular focus of a lot of like left-wing um kind of internationalist politics on israel is also um because uh leftism often you know the real enemy is colonialism um but the 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 kind of middleman enemy is israel like people you know um who was it rebecca long bailey was um fired for for sharing that article the interview with maxine peak in which maxine peak Falsely claimed that uh, American police were trained by Israeli police um, to, to to kneel on the neck. I mean, like it's the opposite. It's you know, it's not that Israel is training America to be colonial bastards. It's that America is training Israel to be colonial. Like you know, it's it's, it's that's the dynamic. Who's the real enemy? It's 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 the kind of you know the the superpower, the kind of colon- neo-colonial and colonial superpowers, not. Israel. Obviously Israel is a problem, but like that's a whole separate kind of kettle of fish.
0: Yeah, but what you're saying about the buffer zone, I totally understand because I was reading up on all of this and in America um, for when they had the sort of really um, slum landlords and stuff, the people who had to go and get the rent were Jewish and lots of African-Americans grew up and um, there was a interest in dividing the African American community from the Jewish community because they had come together and they pushed through together civil rights movement, for example, over here they pushed through together the race relations um, yeah. act, you know what I mean? They were working yeah. very side by side and they needed a yeah. to do
3: that, Aisha. Yeah. Sorry. Well, you see, in a lot of the kind of Hotep imagery and literature, there is a lot of anti-Semitic. There are a lot of anti-Semitic tropes, and I think that, to me, is like a hangover of the to the attempt to separate post-civil rights movement. The kind of you know focus on Afrocentrism, and then somehow we also, while we're doing that, we have to not like Jews. But it does feel to me like something that's just kind of carried on from there, because mm. of course. I mean really imagine if black people and jewish people actually worked together the shit we could get done we could get so much stuff done yeah. but we were we, we did get so much stuff done, yeah. stuff done absolutely yeah. and but it, Eva, what you're yeah. saying
1: about new york is is really salient because obviously like there were lots of um attacks on orthodox jewish people um primarily by african americans yes. um and that 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 like reignited this like you know decades long centuries long kind of antagonism not quite centuries long but James Baldwin writes about it you know James Baldwin writes about it in his essay on the Harlem ghetto um, about like how Jews and black people are like trained to hate each other because you know it's easier than actually like joining forces to oppose the white man kind of thing. Yeah.
0: I think it was Baldwin that I read, read it from actually where he said he had grown up and didn't realize all this time that a Jewish man who used to come and get the rent didn't own that building for all that time that's what he was led to believe and he said he sort of had really hard you know anti-semitic feelings because of it and then he realized what was going on.
1: Yeah exactly and I you know it's that that kind of um, generational memory or whatever you want to call it it fades so fast and we're back I feel now I mean I don't know what you think Ella but I feel like we're kind of a little bit back at square one again, where there is this kind of antagonism like over the Ford report, for example, where like, um, you know, you see a lot of like black commentators quite rightly being a bit like, why have the Jews taken precedence over us?
2: Um, yeah, no, I mean, cause I used to, I forgot to mention actually, I used to run a group on Facebook called Black America. Um, so I was an admin there for about five years and um so i got I got to see sort of like firsthand you know obviously the issues i mean but it was mainly working class lower class black America rather than middle class advantaged or privileged black America, so I really got to see the issues that were facing them, and obviously the, the shootings of black men was a constant um and um so yeah, I mean, I did actually sort of make a note of well some of the issues that I sort of see as being barriers to black and Jewish cooperation, let's say in America, you know, this was around the time, of course, that Wiley was being anti-Semitic online. And I think Jay Electronica in the US was also being anti-Semitic and a couple of others, Nick Cannon as well. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I mean, actually the the group got shut down actually um, just shortly before Trump was elected um, because there was a concern with Facebook that they'd be sued if, you know when Black America was mainly anti-Trump and uh, you know there were legal ramifications of the group staying up after the election. So anyway, that got shut down. That anti-Semitism isn't there now. I've got my own group called Global Black Family and obviously we don't allow any hate there, but I notice that whenever I try to post black and Jewish content, it, that doesn't it either gets negative attention, or no attention at all. So then I set up a group called Black and Jewish Voices, which is where people who are interested in Black and Jewish relations can go and find out what's going on. Um, But I I did put a a list together of the the sort of like technical points that need to be overcome in order for certainly Black America and Jewish America to be able to work together. And so on that list was um, problematic texts in the Talmud, um, and some of the, the, um,